Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hey everyone, Jessica here. Uh, Welcome back after summer vacations. I hope everybody had a nice holiday, at least those of the listeners who are in Scandinavia. Um, Now it's time to get back to work. Time for the fall. I was in Vietnam and had a wonderful holiday, and I am very excited to get home though and start working on uh, a project that I will be launching and announcing in September that I am super, super, super excited about, something I've wanted to do for a long time. And then I woke up one day and was like, oh, the time is now. So I am working on that behind the scenes. Other than that, from the Atman Yoga School, we have a few more uh, announcements. Early bird for the tuition for uh, Trondheim 200-hour vinyasa and Ayurveda teacher training that starts in October. The early bird price runs until August 11th, so you only have a few more days to lock that price in if you're interested. And then also registration is open for our 200-hour vinyasa and Ayurveda teacher training that starts in January in Oslo. So get on that if you're interested send an email to hello at atmanyogaschool.com or check out our website www.atmanyogaschool.com all right that's it time for this week's episode Hi, and welcome back to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm Jessica, and this week I am talking with an author, studio owner, yoga teacher from near Bergen, Norway. So welcome, Vivian Mitveit. Thank you, Jessica. So nice of you to invite me here. Yes, I'm just so happy, yeah, to connect with you. And, you know, you were recommended to me by one of your students, and I was doing a little research and looking at your website and seeing the things that you're up to. And I was like, yes, this is exactly, you know, you're doing the things that are very much in line with what I'm interested in and and what I think a lot of my listeners are uh, interested in. So the stars aligned. It's Uh, great. That's so perfect. I love those kind of synchronicities. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and the crazy thing too, we were just talking before recording about your new studio and it's so funny today, Monday, we're recording uh, is the first day that your studio is open. And then this episode is actually going to air this week, this Thursday, which is surprising because <laughs> normally when I record, they don't air until like a month, five weeks after. And, and it just so happened this week we're recording, this week it's released. And this week your studio opens. Yeah, this is so amazing because this is the reopening. I've had a studio for a few years, but now we have really done a expansion and a total makeover. And it's this is the opening week and I have you <laughs> a podcast with you. And when you said it aired Thursday, it's like, yeah, yeah. quite good aligned. <laughs> yeah. So perfect. Yeah. So what do you teach at your studio? Like what's, what are you doing there? Uh, on a daily basis? Yeah. Like what kind yeah. of classes do you have? Is it, is it vinyasa? Is it tantra? Is it hatha? Yeah. Yeah, my my personal classes is very much influenced by um, by my teachers and my main teacher, with it, which is a woman called Atika, uh, and she has her own kind of style called yoga somatic, which is a really inner felt um, organic practice, which comes from how life naturally moves. So it's a kind of very free, and it can be soft and strong at the same time. It's very into how life moves, you know, in spirals, in circles, and how we naturally 
evolve and how we move when we evolve as human beings. So it's, um, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then your the studio that you owned before, was it the same name, Living Yoga? or Yes. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been the same since 2011, I think. Then I started more like in a gym hall, just started. So it's very strange now to see how it has evolved so naturally, like on its own growth path to, yeah, to mm. become this this big studio now oh, with that's different awesome. teacher. Yes. How many teachers do you have there? We have like five or six. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's important to have different variation, you know, different yoga for different people. Mm. And I think we all need the same. Yeah. So there are some like vinyasa, we have some yin yoga, some medi yoga, some mindfulness courses, breathing courses. Yeah. Cool. And so I'm, I want to take a quick detour and ask you kind of a, a businessy type of question because as yoga teachers and people in the yoga industry, um, it's it, people know how hard it is to run a yoga studio. Like it's, I think it's the hardest job yeah. <laughs> to yeah. own and run a yoga yeah. studio. And so I'm always curious when somebody has um, changed locations or uh, closed a studio and then reopened. What has your experience been? Have you, has it been kind of easy for you or is, are you just so passionate about it? You don't care or what, (laughs) what led you to reopen is my question. Yeah. (laughs) Knowing how hard it is. Yes. Um, well I can say like the business part of it, uh, it's like you say, it can be hard, but what I've, what my, if I can give like a business clue, what I've done for a few years ago, I changed from being just open classes to have courses. So people sign up for full courses like eight weeks or 10 weeks. So people are committed. And that has been like the best thing because then you don't have to see every class. Oh, how many is showing up? And people cannot just always push off yoga. And what I experienced with that is that people are very happy because then they themselves have committed to yoga like once a week or twice a week and then they don't push themselves you know if they are mothers or whatever everything else is more important Mm. so it's been like a win-win so yeah to have regular courses where people sign up for a longer period is what kind of is the foundation of Mm. this going around so is every class part of a course or or do you also offer uh, drop-ins uh, I just have one or two drop-in classes a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that when I moved to Norway, that was actually um, the hardest thing for me is because I think most studios in Norway, I know there are a couple of the vinyasa studios in Oslo are moving away from the courses and just having open drop-ins. Yeah. But, you know, in America, that's a very every studio has a drop-in for every class. And so you can kind of pick and choose and you wake up one morning and you're like, oh, okay, what's going on tonight? I feel like maybe I should do some yoga and you can book a class. And, and so that was what I was really used to is just sort of picking and choosing based on what I felt. Yeah. And then I moved to Norway and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't get into any classes. And, (laughs) and so it was, I just had to kind of reframe because then I started to see, oh, that's like a really common thing for most studios in Norway. And from a business perspective, I'm 100% with you. I think that is much smarter because then, of course, you know people prepay. You know how many people are there. There's a level of accountability for the students. Yeah. But you also, 
Yes. Oh yeah. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, but then also, you know, for some people, you lose some people too who want to do yes. drop-ins. But. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Um, uh, but, but also the, the ability to follow the students for a regular course, you have much more chance to follow them up personally, to see the growth, to see what they need. So it is so many advantages. But, but our society is like this, that we want to choose whenever we want, whatever we want. Um, so it's a little bit outside. But also, I think if you have a really big client group, you can do that. But when you're a small studio, like I started out with just two courses a week, then you have to, I can't compete with the big chains. Yeah. Now also training chains, which also, you know, offer yoga. But I go with, with more like the quality and the depth. And yeah, so you get connection with the teacher and each and one get much more personal. Yeah. And I think the biggest benefit of all from running courses is um, community. Exactly. Building the Sangha. And I think that's what so many people are craving more than anything, more than doing yes. the asana or getting flexibility or strength. Mm-hmm. It's when they know they're showing up every Monday night and they're going to see the same group, there's there's something that feeds your soul on a different level. Yes, that's so well said, Jessica. Exactly. It's such a big part of it. And for me personally, too, they are like my family. I have so, like, <laughs> my groups are so firm and coming back. And I think it, it's exactly what you say there. Mm. It's such a big part. And we need that. And that makes us feel safe. And we can open up more. And, yeah. So, absolutely, Yeah. Mm. And that's, you know, I taught group classes full-time for many years. And then... When I started my school, I transitioned into, that's the majority of what I do is run teacher trainings. And um, I'll be teaching one public class a week here in Oslo uh, starting mm-hmm. in August. But with my courses, they run, some of them are just a weekend, but um, some of them are six months or a year long even. And so it's the exact same thing where everybody knows for that when we have our meeting times, you put your life on hold, you show up and you're immersed in the yoga. You talk about yoga, you practice yoga, you're around yogis. And it's the most magical, amazing thing. And it's, um, I've seen for myself, um, when we create a community that feels safe and inclusive and supportive and encouraging, it changes us on a level we don't expect. We're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll just show up for yoga. Yoga's great. Okay, Mm. cool. I've got some new yoga friends. Mm. But those friendships last long after the course ends. Oh, that is so beautiful. And what you're saying there is the main reason for my expansion of the studio right now. Because I wanted more space to hang around for these things. You know, when you have opened up to a class, we have now a bigger space to hang afterwards with a cup of tea and keep that good because people find each other and chat on a level we don't do. We don't have spaces to really put off our masks and, yeah, and be more naked and vulnerable and close. So that's exactly the reason why I wanted to expand. Mm. Not to have more yoga classes and stuff, but for more room for what you are saying right there. Yeah. Well, and with with yoga too, and the business side of it and, and creating a space for people to come, it's a little bit of that prophecy too, first you have to trust major trust (laughs) from the from the business side of it but then it's that idea yeah of if you build it they will come Mm. Mm. 
Yes. If you put your heart and your soul into it and you show up 100% as you, yeah. you attract the people that are operating at the same frequency as you. Exactly. Yes. And I think you have to have some kind of, you know, what you see, you have to trust like the universe or anything that if you see there is a need in our society or anything that people need this, people need place to connect or to get together. You have to trust that somehow it will pay off. You have to do it because you see that need and you have to feel it. And just like you say, trust that the rest will be okay. Yeah, it will. It will. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that kind of, I think, ties into um, the topic of your book a little bit. Yes. So the book that you wrote, um, I'll let you say the Norwegian, but then it translates sort of, into Sparkle of God. Exactly. Can you tell us what your book's about? I can try. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find it so hard to kind of narrow it down. Um, but if I, if I am going to narrow it down to a couple of words, it's like, I call it um, yeah, soul development, or it's like utvikling in Norwegian to... Expansion, maybe, to expand as a human and, and spirit. Um, so it's really about expansion. For me, it was, it started with I had a lot of darkness, heavy, heavy depression, really. I actually didn't want to live more. Mm. And, um, and finding my way out of it and finding that spark. There's always a spark in us. That's what it's called, Gudegnist or Sparkle of God, who kind of led me, knew that this darkness couldn't be real. This couldn't be my life. So, yeah, from development from darkness to light, maybe I can say like that. Mm. And, yeah. And was this before or after you had found yoga? This was uh, way before. Mm. <laughs> yoga became a very, very good tool on my way, a necessary tool, yeah. How were you first exposed to yoga? Yes, I had... Um, I went to, a, when I had it the hardest, in the darkest, I went to a therapist, a psycho, psychotherapist. Uh, this is like 20 years ago. And at that time, she educated herself to be an Ashtanga teacher. Hmm. Uh, so she kind of introduced me to yoga or something like yoga, where I, uh, for the first time, really experienced a body connection. I could feel myself which sounds very strange. I, I did a lot of hard workouts workout and my body was in pain. So, of course, I felt my body, I thought. But the, the connection, uh, I love the word connection. It's also a big theme of the book, um, connection. Uh, so that's the first time, almost, almost 20 years ago. Mm. And that was something, I had been to therapy for a year and things got slightly better. But when I started connecting with the body like that, that's when things really started to accelerate in my healing. So for me, it's, I say that therapy without like body connection is very limited. Mm. I dare to say that loudly. It's very limited. I think every therapist should, we have to go through our bodies because that's where our pain holds. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's what Ayurveda would say also, the sister science of yeah. yoga is yeah. you have to be taking care of your physical body in order yes. to be able to take care of your mind. Exactly. 
And that's why yoga is so great, you know, because it, it takes in the physical body. <laughs> Someone will think that yoga is only about the physical body, which it's absolutely not. But uh, the body is a big part, part of yoga. We le- relate to the body, even though we say we are not our bodies. We mm-hmm. have to go through our bodies. <laughs> right. Well, and, mm. and that's also why the yoga sutras are in the order they're in. You know, the asana, mm, the mm. physical connection is at the beginning. It's the third limb. Yes, you know, exactly. Mm. And then we can go deeper. <laughs> yes, yes. And the body is so amazing. It, it, the wisdom is in our body, I feel. It's like, oh, there's so much there. All the creativity it has, all the wisdom it has. The body knows how to heal if it would just, <laughs> if we would just listen to it. So, Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, mm. so true. And, and that that's, I think, the practice, learning the practice. how to listen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which it sounds so simple. And yet it's the most difficult thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so when did you what year did you write your book in? Uh, it came out last year, just about May last year, 2018. And it's been like probably an eight year process. Mm. <laughs> because when I when also when I went to the therapist, uh, the first thing I said to her when the first time I was at her, I was there with my arms crossed over my chest. And she said, what's what's bothering you? And then I said something that I totally surprised myself. I said, I have no words. I said, Hmm. I have no words. And what I think now I meant is that I, I have no connection. You know, I couldn't express what was feeling inside. I didn't have connection with what I felt. I didn't have connection with my body. Definitely not connection with my soul, my longings, what I really wanted, who I really was. But the interesting thing is that she said to me, like, maybe a few months later, you should start writing. And I like, are you stupid? <laughs> I told her I have no words. <laughs> How can I write? But I was a good girl, and sometimes that serves you. So I started to write just one and one word, whatever it, and and that um, and that just took on and on and on. So I've been writing so much throughout my process. It just become my biggest therapist, actually, my own writing. And I I felt at first it it started to connect me to like my inner child, you know, the wounded child and the pain and. A child's language. It really wasn't like good writing. It was more like a child's language. And and when that developed, I felt it turned me to a, like a real connection to my soul. I could see things coming from a more depth. And it's like I had more and more like open line to my soul. This is over years, of course. And then in the end, I also felt that I could get guidance from like a higher source. Or maybe it was a deeper source within me. I don't know. But things answer to things that I, yeah, was struggling with. And um, this was going to lead me to answer your question. <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> the book. The book. <laughs> when did I write it? Yeah. So, so the book kind of, I had a lot of writing that I, I knew I wanted to gather somehow in, in a book. So it's been coming through for many, many years. But of course, I held myself back and it wasn't ready. And yeah, so... Last year, I just decided now, just do it, Vivi, because, you know, this is it's a longing and you've had it knocking from within for so many years. So now it's time to do it. Mm. Yeah, it's been a long process. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. And 
I imagine too, as you went through that entire process and then as you started rewriting and doing more drafts and stuff, like Mm -hmm. that was probably so therapeutic and so healing as you were able to, you know, just as you said, you you started with more of this childlike language. And then as you were more in tune with that inner connection, you could then refine, refine, refine. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And yeah. That's the the work of the self-inquiry. And, yes, you know, one of the things that I always try and tell people about when we do this work is, uh, first of all, you have to be patient. Yes. <laughs> and second of all, there is no way out other than through. Mm. Mm. You have to go through the pain. You yes. have to go through the inquiry. You have to sit with yourself. And yes. that can be the scariest, most terrifying thing. <laughs> yes. But then if you're patient, you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm doing okay. I'm okay. Yeah. You know, it's this push and pull. It's like the two steps forward, one step back, two steps yeah. forward, three steps back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is the road. Oh, I, it's not a pure pleasant journey. You know, if we talk about enlightenment or this thing in yoga and we think, oh, it's so blissful and stuff. It is not. It is painful. Mm. Because to get enlightened or get light into your painful places, which it means, I think, you have to feel the pain. And you have to see, like you said, your shadows Mm. and the things that you really... mm. So, yeah. But it's so... I think it's so... For me, it's it's the meaning of life, doing this work. To evolve and to be able to put light in the dark spaces and see that I can change and I can grow and I can... It doesn't matter if I'm not where I want to be as long as I am growing, expanding. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Transformation is uncomfortable. And that's just the way it is. And that's, I think, why, you know, a lot of people go back and forth and they're like, oh, I want to change. How do I change? And then when they realize there's actually work involved. Uh, it's too much. And I get it. I absolutely, I mean, that's the other important thing is like, how do we as teachers maintain compassion for ourselves, first of all, and then second of all, for the people around us and for our students who are struggling, who are going through the darkness and the pain. And, you know, you had said before we recorded about how you think that's, that had to happen for you in order to be the teacher you are. And I 100% agree for, agree with that for myself as well. And the painful things in my life that I've experienced and the just, yeah, there's almost, almost no words (laughs) for some of those feelings. And, um, you know, it takes time to process and you have to do the work yourself first. Yeah. And then you can go out and hold space for others from a place of compassion. And I'm, I'm going to use a word, uh, disinterest. And I don't mean that most people, they hear the word disinterest and they think like a negative connotation, like you don't care. Oh, you're not interested. Mm -hmm. But disinterest, meaning more like dispassion, like you're not getting drawn as a teacher, you're not getting drawn into the drama of a student who's experiencing pain. Mm. So you're able to hold space Mm. very compassionately, very kindly, Mm. but also maintain that boundary or that border for yourself. That is such a good word or concept, Jessica, really. Yeah. You have to. You have to. Otherwise, you, yeah, you don't help by going down with them. Yeah, exactly. And 
as teachers, you know, we're monitoring and, and we're involved in a lot of different people's energy and, and their yes. personalities and what they're bringing to the shala. And it's, yeah. um, that's one of the things that we talk about in teacher training at the Atman Yoga School is as a teacher, how do you create boundaries? But, yeah. but not, so yeah, but not be unapproachable and, and not, mm. I think there are some teachers who take it too far. <laughs> Of course, of course. That's safe, you know. That's very safe to do. But but the word you said, compassion, I feel, I think is a key word. You have to be able to feel that compassion. And you can, and I think uh, it's Brenna Brown, the author of, yeah, the researcher for shame and uh, vulnerability and stuff. She says, there are no compassion without boundaries. Mm. So it's so important, both can be in the same same space. That's so great. And yeah, it's funny. I know so many people in the yoga community talk about Brene Brown and love her. And I know she had the Netflix thing and, and I have never read anything from her. I've never watched anything from her. And it's, I, I probably just my own resistance because everybody's like, she's so amazing. She's so amazing. And I'm like, I'm like, ah, (laughs) yeah. Cause a lot of people on this podcast have brought her up and and I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not familiar (laughs) because I'm not, but yeah. Funny. Yeah. Well, you find what you're drawn to. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've got a question for you, and it might be a hard one to answer, but that's fine. Yeah. When when do you think, in your experience, you shifted out of the pain and into the compassion? Wow. Yeah, that's a hard question. I know. Like, I don't, it's not like a moment, I think it's, but very, very early in my own therapy. Um, that was the first, like, you know, fragrance of it. The first thing I noticed, which was more in my own therapeutic process was that I, uh, was becoming more compassionate. The deeper I dived into my own pain and myself, the more compassionate I got. So it, it was a graduate process and very humbling process it still is for me um that the more i see how like double i can be like i say one thing and then i'm totally doing another which i think we all are it's very humbling because so i've become less and less judgmental Mm. and now when i see it i always thought i had such a good heart i'm such a kind person which i am in (laughs) in the basic but see how much judgment i had and of course, if we have a lot of self-hatred and, and shame, we will project it. Mm. So for me, this was a very gradual process, which started kind of immediately. And then you think, oh, now I'm so compassionate. And now I can say, okay, you're miles ahead. <laughs> no, you're miles <laughs> behind. But, but yeah, it was really gradually opening for me. Mm. And maybe some of the things like with compassion who's been most learning for me is when I have met it, when I have met radical compassion for someone. And that means someone who, who tolerate my pain, not try to fix it, not Mm. try to change it. Just, Oh damn, that is painful. And just someone who I felt really understood it. That's the most healing thing. So I've also learned from being met with true compassion, which I find very rare. Yeah. Mm. I agree. Just as you said that, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, God, when was the last time that happened yeah. for me? And it, it's 
Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to have to ponder on that. And it's not yeah. not that people aren't kind to me or loving towards me because they're very much so in my life. But it's like true compassion, like a soul compassion. Like I yeah. see you yeah, in your pain, in your flaws, in your humanity. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big question. It's a big question. I have an own chapter in my book about compassion because it's such a big theme for me. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's the most difficult thing we do it's so hard to find like you say that rare uh, you know real compassion because that has to be like oh take in and i see you i feel you mm. <laughs> and i don't have no intention to fix you or right <laughs> yeah right give you an advice which is the worst thing <laughs> i think when i'm in pain yeah good advice well and that's usually what most people just want when we're in yeah. pain is somebody to sit down next to us to hold our hand and say nothing. Yeah. Oh, you know, that but it's so beautiful. Yeah. And I, I, I know from experience that when you encounter somebody who is in pain, struggling, and they share that with you, our default as humans, because I think we're all intrinsically good is to yeah. try and fix them. Just like you said, to give advice and be like, okay, well, have you tried this? What about that? Yes. And, and blah, blah, blah. And it's, that's more of a reflection of our insecurity and discomfort yeah. in that moment yes. than it is about actually helping that person. Yes. Even with good intentions. Yeah. But that is the problem. You, you, you can't really take this because people have good intention when they want to give you away. But what they're really saying, I feel, on like an emotional level to me is that I can't stand your pain. Can't you fix it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and some pain just has to be. I think um, one guy called Jeff Foster, he says that pain doesn't want to be healed. It wants to be held. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what I write about that in my book, too, that everything just wants to be seen. Yeah. You know, and it will like dissolve in itself if it's allowed to be. Because the, the problem with pain is that we suppress it. That's why it go into, for my, in my case, to depression and darkness. I hadn't been able to, I just had suppressed my pain. Of course, I had been a child too. So then I didn't have any tools to handle it. But I think mm. that's when it turns into depression or physical illness or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. What, yeah. Mm. And that's also what Ayurveda says. If we yeah. re repress or ignore emotion and don't process it, it will manifest as a physical ailment at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that can be a mental ailment also. And it's, um, that then forces us to try and take a little bit of responsibility. Well, a lot yeah. of responsibility, but then the problem is when you're in that place of darkness, and you can intellectually know, okay, I need to be taking care of myself. I need to drink water. I need to eat good food. I need yeah. to just, you know, do what I can. But when you are in that place, and I know that place quite well, mm. you literally can't do anything. No. And so you know what to do. <laughs> yeah. But you can't do it. And yeah. so I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. Yeah. And then the, their support system around them is like, come on snap out of it, do this, do that. And, um, uh -uh. you know, I shared on my podcast, um, a lot and I'm, I'm guessing you're probably not aware of this, but I went through cancer treatment three years ago, um, mm. for a rare, uh, and aggressive cancer and I'm fine, totally healthy now. But six days after my last treatment is when I moved to Norway and wow. immigrating to a new country when you're 
<laughs> have just had a, a huge ah. trauma is um, it was an experience I would rather not repeat. And yeah, wow. so my first few months in Norway were pretty brutal. And it was, um, you know, I'd left all of my family, all my support behind, even though I moved here with my husband. And I, I remember days upon days where literally I couldn't put a bra on and I couldn't do any of my self-care. And I'm one of those people where I'm obsessed with self-care and I have all these tools from yoga and Ayurveda and, you know, just simple things like using essential oils or using my face oils, like very basic things Mm -hmm. I couldn't do. And Mm -hmm. I would look at my, my arsenal of Mm self-care things. And I'd be like, man, I wish I felt like doing that again. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't. And it was a very gradual process before finally one day I was like, oh, maybe I'll open up my lavender essential oil and put a little on my pillow. Like mm-hmm. the most simple of things. Mm-hmm. But it was so just, it took so much energy to do that. No. Oh. And um, so so I know what that feels like. And oh. for me, I was very fortunate where I was in a position where I could give my sp- myself a little bit of time to heal in that way. Like I, I was teaching yoga. Um, and I was, I ran my first program in Norway and I, I gave 110% of all of my energy for each of those teacher training weekends. But in between I was, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I was a a blob on the couch until gradually I was able to kind of readjust and my energy came back. And, um, so for me, I was able to give myself, I didn't have to rush back to my office job or, you know, whatever. And I know in Norway, of course, with the the social services here, there's a lot more leeway for people who have illness and you go on mm-hmm. sick leave and, and you're given that time from the government. Mm-hmm. Whereas in America, you're screwed. Like yeah. you, wow. you don't have a choice. You have to go to work and you have to do these things. And so, so for me, the only advice I can give people who are in that situation is be patient and be kind. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who's in that situation, having been there? Well, first of all, I must say that's a very strong story. <laughs> it's kind of touching to hear. But I would also say that you say self-care might just be that day like you experienced or those days not doing anything. Like getting into, you know, the rituals or whatever. It's like trust what you feel you want to do don't go on your math if you if you don't want to you know Mm -hmm. like let self-care change from day to day and time to time in in your life it's like one day it's the right thing maybe to stay in bed another day maybe it is to like crawl out of bed and just lay on your mat or yeah so just i think getting out of the fixed ideas of what is good for you because what is good for you will change um yeah from day to day from time to time and um i don't know did i answer your question now <laughs> yeah it's just you know i know a lot of people and i'm sure you do too who are in that situation of suffering yes. right now yeah. and even though we just said okay we we can't really be offering advice to those people because <laughs> no. it's a projection. Yeah. Don't give I also know people listening to this podcast are probably like, okay, so what do you do? <laughs> yeah. What do you do? Yeah. What do you do? But uh, I find this um, equal sign between love and uh, acceptance. As soon as you can like accept things as they are and, and yeah, 
if, if it's the illness, if it's the fatigue you may experience after such a hard illness or hard treatment and accept, because oh, acceptance feels like love, you know, mm. it is, it is the same. I always say that if your like boyfriend or partner says, I love you, but you should lose weight or something, it doesn't feel like love. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Because, and yeah, and we should do that to ourselves too, you know, uh, accept and that means also accept you have negative feelings or even like jealousy or envy or accept that you don't have to act out on it or accept that you have limitations in your energy and yeah acceptance yeah well and acceptance leads to self-forgiveness in mm -hmm. my experience mm -hmm. and yes that's for me probably one of the biggest lessons is self-forgiveness and yeah. we're so hard on ourselves and we're so yes. negative and we beat ourselves up and we compare ourselves and when we are able to forgive ourselves for both real and imagined yeah problems um i think it does create that space of acceptance and then it's that love that you're talking about where you're like, yeah. wow, you know what? Actually, I'm a good person. I'm doing a good job, but I'm also human and I make mistakes and I yes. have the power to hurt people and the power to make bad choices. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that is, oh, I lost my thread there because that was so important what you said. Yeah, but the, because that's the one of the hardest part for me, like going to therapy and I've done a lot of trauma work and stuff is to see when I repeat my trauma, especially on my son. Mm. Like you, because you are bound to. You're bound to repeat some of it. And it's so hard because... And then what you said, I've also taken in the word not just self-forgiveness. I have to go to the word mercy. Oh. I have to give myself some mercy. Because um, I couldn't do any better at the moment. Because the moment you start seeing clearer and see what you've done, you would like hate yourself for what you did. But you have to have that, like you said, forgiveness and mercy for it was the best I could do in the moment with my trauma, with my energy level or whatever. And it is hard. It's a hard part of the process, I think. But it's very necessary to look into it. And I've had people tell me before um, they don't know what that feels like. Yeah. Forgiveness. Yeah. And when somebody said that to me the first time, it stopped me in my tracks because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to explain it. No. You have to experience it for yourself, that level of love, that level of compassion. And it sounds so great. It sounds so wonderful. And people are like, okay, great. I want that. How do I get there? <laughs> it's like, well, there's a lot you can do. Therapy reading, retreats, meditation, mm -hmm. yoga. I mean, all the self-care rituals that are so, so, mm -hmm. so important. But other than that, at the end of the day, yoga, and I mean that yoga with a capital Y, like the practice, it yeah. is a personal journey. Yeah. And we have teachers to guide us, teachers to hold space, teachers to show us the way, which I think is immensely important. Yeah. But at some point, it's kind of like your paths diverge and you're like, okay, best of luck to you. In a you know yeah. metaphorical way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's that that's life. <laughs> In the end, we have to stand on our own two feet. Uh, but this was what I 
I thought about when you told me about your illness and you're coming to Norway and it's like the self-care that you felt you should do or wanted to do. I just felt at that moment you should have been taken care of. Mm. <laughs> Someone should have, you know, and that is so important. We need help. We cannot do everything alone. So if that is, like you say, a teacher, a therapist, a friend, it's it's such an important message for me. We need help, but ultimately we have to do our own work. But we absolutely have to allow people to sometimes even hold us totally. When yeah. We yeah. Oh, you're so right. And it's amazing because all of the work I've done since that happened, um, I never once considered that. Like it, no. it, that was why I think it took me so much longer to heal from yes. the trauma of the illness was because yeah. I did not have a support system. I didn't yes. have my favorite massage place to go. I didn't have mm. my whole foods to get my favorite food at. I didn't, you know, and those are very superficial, mm. very privileged mm. things to whine and complain about. But most importantly, I was away from my family who I'm very close with and yeah. my best friends and my yoga that I was so, you wow. know, my yoga community. And and I wasn't expecting that because I was, I've been so independent my entire life. I've moved yeah. <laughs> a lot. I've started over so many times and I actually relish that challenge. And so I was blindsided by the fact that this was the yeah. one time I couldn't start over easily. Wow. And now you just saying that I'm like, wow, actually that would have made a difference if, if yeah. somebody had been able to come over and and this is what you and I are talking about. It's not trying to fix me or fix no. somebody. It's just, hey, can I make dinner for you tonight? Hey, can mm. I do a load of laundry for you? Hey, can I walk your dog? Exactly. Those things. Those things. Those things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, can I rub your feet with your favorite oil? You know, but just, yeah, like walk the, the dog. I think that can be such a big... <laughs> oh, yeah, I, you know, you, I really feel compassion in my heart when you tell this story because I can relate to you so much from being like the independent, I'm all self-done kind of thing. And I think it's it's much harder. You probably wouldn't even imagine that you needed that when you moved because then you wouldn't have moved maybe at that time. But yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So much for you at that because it's, it's like a trace in the mind that, no, I don't need that. You know, like I... I'm good on my own. I got my tools. Yeah. And that is, that's the thing too. When you've been doing yoga and meditation and Ayurveda and breath work and all of this stuff for a long time, you do, you feel confident and you feel yes. comfortable in your ability to take care of yourself to some degree. Mm -hmm. And of course our practice mm -hmm. changes and ebbs and flows anyways, naturally. But when we experience a trauma or we have a down downturn in our life and then we're like all of a sudden like, wait, Wait, why aren't my tools working anymore? Yes, yes, exactly. And I think it comes back full circle to the idea of community. Yeah. That is exactly oh. when community should step in to yeah. help support in a way that's perhaps not the fixing, not the like, oh, maybe you should try therapy. Oh, maybe you should do mm. this. Maybe you should do that. It's like, mm. okay, how, and it, oh, it also comes back to one of, one of my favorite practices, bhakti yoga how can I be of service? Yeah. Just that question. Oh, just that question. Yeah. And that is so beautiful. First of all, I just want to say that I think somewhere in the Yoga Sutras, it does too say that at one point, you know, like of confusion, seek help <laughs> from like, even if the text or wiser persons, it's also, it's actually in the yoga. Yeah. That we need, 
but also what you say that um Oh, I always lose my thread. <laughs> I so engaged. But I also, during this way, of course, I tried too hard and had a really, really hard burnout for like, I don't know, 10 years or maybe more than that ago. And then I had a colleague of mine who, who on the phone, like, asked me, do you need anything? Can I do, you know, people, I felt she wanted to fix and say, huh, the only thing I could need is someone's cleaning my floor because I can't get up. And then she just laughed and said, you can have the number to my house cleaner. Oh, yeah, but you know, that, that's how we live often, you know, I think it's a, a basic human need to help and to be of service, but then we don't have the time. So yeah. we have efficient and that was just like, no, don't bother. I think she had a real intention that she wanted to, but she couldn't like take the time out of her life. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we are conflicted inside and we live very unhealthy in these islands, especially in Norway, we live so separated. We don't live in big families where these things would have been so naturally shared between generations and stuff. So that's so yeah. true. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's my hope. The more popular that yoga becomes and in Norway in particular, you know, seeing how. So I started teaching yoga in Norway in 2012 um, when my husband and I started dating and I would come over here and a couple times a year teach. And then I moved here in 2016 I've seen such a change in the yoga, um, yeah. just in how many studios are open and how many more people are doing it and people are signing up for trainings and retreats and all of this stuff. And yes. I think it's the most encouraging and positive thing because yeah. the more people doing yoga and starting to get exposed to these ideas and like, oh, there is a different way other than the very Western mentality we've all been taught, yes. you know, work hard, go to university, get a job, start a family, blah, blah, <sighs> blah. Yeah. And in Norway in particular, seeing the rates of how many people are going on sick leave, yeah. it's like something is not working here in the exactly. society. And I'm, I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean that as an observation, like what, yes. what, what else and in, in America too, but we just don't have the access to social <laughs> services. Um, and so it's like, okay, how can we be catalysts for this information? Yeah. And that's, the job that I see myself having here yeah. in Norway is how can I become a connector, oh. a resource, a support for people coming into the practice of yoga, learning how to live the yoga off the mat, learning how to think about like just the story you, you told me. If we can get more people thinking from a yogic perspective, like how can yeah. I be of service? How can I be part of the solution rather than part of the problem and learning how to see just what you said, like time management. And it's not necessarily time management as much as prioritization. Yeah. Yeah. When you go out of your way to help somebody, I mean, that's karma yeah. yoga. <laughs> it's karma yoga. Exactly. And it, it's not because it's the right thing. I think either. No, because it, it, it's what we, we long for it. I think it would make us good, feel good. It's, it's meaningful and purposeful. We have to, like, I think, change the word of happiness and stuff with meaning <laughs> and what gives us meaning. I, I think we need to do that as human beings. We, we long for it. Even though we, in our heads, we think, oh, I got so much to do, I can't do another thing. It's just like we can drop half of your list. <laughs> it's not necessary. And connect with someone. It's what we long for. Absolutely. And then the craziest part is if you do do that, some type of the karma yoga, bringing a casserole over for your neighbor, mm. washing their floors, things like that, that are mm. 
actually quite simple in the scheme of things, but they mean mm. the world to the person who receives yes. it. You, the person doing that act, actually gets the byproduct of this very amazing feeling. Yeah. And that's the juice of the practice. Ugh. And it's again, like you said, you're not doing it because you're just, oh, I'm going to be a good person. Like, check me out. Give me a pat mm. on my back. Like, can't you mm. see how good of a person I am? Mm. It's, it's coming from an internal desire yeah. to express compassion for somebody yeah. who needs help. And through that, then you are like, wow, all of a sudden I feel better. Yes. Yes. All of a sudden my crazy to-do list doesn't seem so overwhelming. Yeah. And so important. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly, Jessica. It's very well put. And mm. it's, you know, and that's also why I think it takes us lifetimes to learn these practices. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, lifetime. <laughs> mm. Yeah, our ego gets in the way. It's like, oh, I'd love to help, but... But I think what, what you're talking about now, it feels like you've gone, walked the walk and you've, you've discovered this. But I think it's new to many people. Just the, the thought of it. That's what I see. I always drop in like, these little things in the beginning of my classes, I always have some philosophy. Like I try to make it everyday philosophy, what not like big and yeah. floating, but and what to say, I think we have just forgotten to think that way. So just like dropping small seeds of thoughts that things can be different really makes a big difference too. Yeah. And this idea that we do in fact have choice. Yes. Lots of choices. So, so many of us feel like our hands are tied or like we don't have freedom. And coming from the U.S., I mean, I see you see it in any country, of course, but in America, for sure, our life is so fast paced and we work, we work, we work, we work to death. And people are always like, oh, I'd, I'd love to do something else, but... Yeah. I have so many bills and I have to pay for my kid's college. And then I have this medical bill and then we want to do a renovation on the house. And it's so many Americans feel boxed into their life. And yeah. I've spoken with a lot of Norwegians who would say the same thing is common here in Norway, where people feel boxed in, like they don't have the ability to do something different. Like they can't rock the boat. Yeah. And that feeling I think is paralyzing. It is. Soul drenching, I think. You can see, yeah, it's, it's draining the soul. Yeah. Really. If, and we need, I think also, we need to talk about soul. What is it to be a human being? Because when things get, like you said, only to be around that, you know, like how to get through job fix, it's, we, lose, we lose our sparkle. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we are so much more. And there... And that is just an illusion. It's a construct that we have to live that way. The world is so open now. There's so many possibilities. So sometimes it's just you don't do it because you haven't even thought it's a possibility. So Yeah. And of course, then there's also the concern, like, what are your friends going to say? What's your yes. family going to say? Yes. And it's like, well, what does your soul say? Yes. That's, <laughs> that's the question. That's the big question. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I get it. Like, I... Um, so many people don't know what they want to do or what lights them up. And mm. that also can be a really scary place to be. We're like, oh, I want something different. How do I make it? And I, in my early 20s, were really also painful time for me. And um, I remember asking myself that question every day. I want something different, but I don't know what it is. And I don't know how to get there. <sighs> and that's just 
you feel like you're on this hamster wheel of like, what do, what do I do? How do I get the answers? Mm. And the only advice I have for that is get in nature. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Get in nature and stop thinking about it sometimes. Yeah. Because you know some place in yourself, you do know. But yeah, go in nature. Nature is the best. Yeah. Nature's mm. got such medicine and such power. And mm. I mean, it's not like you're going to come go for one hike and come back and be like, my problems are solved. <laughs> <laughs> no. But prioritizing time outside of, you know, yeah, your home and your TV, turn your freaking TV off. <laughs> yes. Yes. Eyes off phone and TV, because that will just reinform me what you already reinform you, what you already think is true. Yeah. Oh, find some new truth. Yeah. Questions on you have or just leave them and new new truths will appear. They will. And it comes back again to that idea of like, how do you get quiet enough to listen? Yes. And then I think that's just, well, the obvious answer is meditation. Yeah. <laughs> like in, you know, meditation, when I use that word, so many people are like, they're not sure what that means or what I mean by it. And there's so many different ways to meditate. Yeah. What, uh, what ways do you like to meditate or what would you say about meditation? Mm, yeah, I like, I like the word silence. You know, like you say, silence. Um, I call it to make love to the silence. Mm. So meditation can be so many, many things. But of course, the outer turning out the out, noise of the outer world, like you say, yeah, with the sound. And tuning inwards and listening. And so I can, if you're very like agitated, there's a lot going on in your mind or in your emotions. I go really hard in to see what's on my mind maybe or what's in my emotion. I can go through my emotion and into meditation. Um, go straight through the pain. And after feeling, connecting, maybe crying, maybe writing, I think silence can appear or meditation can appear naturally. But I also have a, a, I feel that meditation is my practice, is the most important part for me. I'm like, I have to have it. So I also have routines for it. Like in the morning, I do a meditation practice where I just sit or a sitting practice where I sit. And I often start to connect just with my breath, sit consciously with my body and my breath and try constantly to just come back to that moment. So it's nothing like magical or mystical. It's more seeking silence without chasing it, listening for it, because it's always there somewhere. So we talked about the word listening. It's a big word for me. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's um, maybe a lost treasure in our world, because deep listening now I go into that. <laughs> yeah. I try to listen. Um, but it's the, we talked about compassion. I feel that listening, I mean, really listening is compassion. It's going out of ideas and yeah, into feeling. I'm just totally nodding over here. Listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, and it's amazing how just the tone in your voice changed yeah. talking about that. And yeah. 
both you and I know that feeling. And so right away we can just like in our body feel yeah. that feeling of listening yeah, and stillness and silence. And it's amazing. I, I ask this question in teacher training occasionally. Um, when was the, so this is rhetorical. It's not to you directly, but when was the last time you sat in complete silence? Mm. And some people are like, oh, this morning. <laughs> yeah. And then a lot of people, they actually have to think about it, like pure silence, like no yeah. background noise, no dinging of the trolleys, no dogs barking, no lawnmowers going, like literally true silence. Mm. Um, and if you live in the city, of course, that's very difficult. Like you might need mm. noise canceling headphones or something. <laughs> yeah. um, I live out in the country in nature where I hear stillness a lot of my day or silence most of my day. Um, but that's also on purpose <laughs> that I yeah, live out yeah. here um, yeah. for that reason to not be stimulated all the time, even though I love the city life. Um, and so I think that's a really interesting question for people to ask themselves like, Oh wow. Yeah. When was the last time I had silence? And yeah. if I can't remember, or if it was a while ago, how do I purposefully create silence yeah. for myself? And how high is it on my prioritizing list? Prioritizing, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> list. How how big of a value is it for you? Is it even on your list as an important thing for you? Because like you say, I think nature and silence is the most health-giving things, you know, really for our own health. Yeah. Definitely. So it should be high high on the list. And you should even have a list of what's important and what's important everyday life. Just for a few minutes even. It's, yeah. Well, and that's what we call in yoga sattvic living. Yeah, sattvic living. Creating yeah. beauty and cleanliness and silence and uh, a softness almost around yeah. your life yeah. so mm. that you're not so much in the the rajasic living of go, 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 go. Okay. Mm -hmm. Up and down mm -hmm. and here and there. And Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I'm blah. like slowing the pace down, slowing your breath down. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a big part. I think of the imbalance in our society that there's too much young, too much solar, you know, this lunar, this feminine, this is the imbalance between the masculine and feminine qualities. I can't see it as like, Yeah gender kind of thing i think it's qualities we don't value those feminine qualities as silence as listening as much as the active doing masculine things and we need both none of them are better or more valuable but the balance between them so i think we yeah need to appreciate them more and give them value it's value in doing nothing in being silent in listening big value and holding the boundaries around the things that we, th we think are important, not yes. what we think other people want us to think are important. Yeah. And so yeah. if you say no to something or someone in order to sit in silence or go mm -hmm. sit in the grass or something mm -hmm. that somebody else might be like, wow, you're really uh, lazy, huh? Wasting mm -hmm. time like that? <laughs> oh, you have a lot of time. Mm. Oh, it, that's like a backhanded dig. Oh, you must have a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> yes. Like, oh. um, no, it's just how I spend my time. 
Exactly. I, we have the same amount. Yeah. <laughs> we just feel it differently. Well, I think that's probably a great place for us to wrap up. Like it's what a, oh, now I feel calm, ready to start my day. Yeah. Just okay, <laughs> talking good about, <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and it's so funny because um, I got back, I was in Vietnam for vacation and I got back yesterday yeah. and it's, you know, Oh. Go, 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 go and travel yeah. and um, oh. getting home. And, and then today, Monday morning, it's like, okay, back to work. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a, such a contrast, um, you know, not just from the locations and everything, but it was so nice. I was traveling with people who don't, who aren't really yogis. And so I didn't talk about oh. yoga. I didn't do yoga with the exception of one practice. And, and then I get home and I'm I'm ready for my new week and diving back into the fall and, you know, new semester of yoga and new trainings coming up. And I'm just like, uh, oh, wow, what a, oh. how, how important it is for us to take breaks. Yeah. Let that be the, the word from this. It is. It's so necessary. Yeah. Even from things we love, sometimes we need to yeah. take breaks. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean with don't getting fixed. That what is my tools or remedies that that can change. Sometimes break is the thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh well, Vivian, I want to thank you so much um, for speaking with me. Yeah, it was so nice. I feel I've been all over the place, but I think you have uh, had a thread in it. So. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. We we're good. We're on track. Um, yeah. I'm gonna put in the show notes. Uh, a link to your yoga studio, Living Yoga, and also a link to your personal website, viviwords.no. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so thank you. You're so welcome. And we will just be in touch. Yes, we will. It was so nice to could talk to you forever. Yeah. So it's <laughs> a good feeling. It is a good feeling. <laughs> well, that's spiritual discourse. You yeah. know, when you're talking about elevated topics and not gossiping about The Bachelor. Exactly. Although sometimes that can be fun too, but <laughs> in general, moving towards more spiritual conversations, more elevated topics is, uh, yeah. is the goal. So, oh, yeah. All right. Well, enjoy your week and congratulations on your studio opening. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.